uh, shares with us right now. Good morning. It's cold, isn't it? Well, God's good. Yes, aren't you glad he's good? Because if he was bad, you'd be in trouble. All of us would be. It's great to see you all. I'm very pleased to be here in Port Lincoln. What a beautiful spot this is, isn't it? This is God's country. And you as the church have got to claim it for God. Come on. Well, I want to honor your pastors. They're out working at the moment, but they're just such a great couple, powerful and done just a great work in this church. Zachariah says, if you don't have the shepherds, the sheep will scatter. So look after your pastors. Put your hands together for your pastors, even though they can't necessarily hear Okay, well, we're good on you, Pauline. We're here in church this morning to worship God, to have connection with one another, but I believe the primary reason is so that your belief system will be affected. As I speak these invisible words, your eye gate and your ear gate receive it, and it goes into the invisible. I live inside of this magnificent specimen that you can see before you. That wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> but I live inside of here. I'm, I'm spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. You've got to have a body to be on the planet. Even Jesus had to get one. So look after your body because once it wears out and conks out, you're gone. You'll be surprised how easy it is to die. Don't want to be morbid. But your spirit and your soul will leave your body and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Come on, then you're going to get a new hairdo as you go before God, boing. You're a good looking bunch. Must be in the water here. Um, it's really important that your beliefs... You, the Word of God says, guard your heart. That means to protect your beliefs, but also be open for them to be developed um, because your beliefs will affect your choices, your decisions, your destination, your direction, and ultimately your eternal destiny. Come on. Over 300 times in the New Testament... Belief, believe, believing is mentioned. 300 scriptures plus. Your belief system affects your choices. You know, terrorism is motivated by the belief system. People believe in what they're doing, even though it's outrageous. It's a very powerful thing. Jesus himself went from village to village, synagogue to synagogue, teaching and preaching. Why? so that he could affect belief systems. So, are you open to having your belief system affected? Well, that was one person. Come on. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said, If you can believe, all things, all things are possible. Come on. 
So I want my belief system to be in line with what God says. You know, sometimes I read the word of God and I think, what was that all about? Don't make me feel alone here. <laughs> but I believe that this word is spirit and truth. And that as I feed on it, it goes into my spirit, nourishes my spirit and affects my belief system. So we need a healthy belief system. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I think or even imagine according to the power that works within us. Come on. Gosh, I'm happy to be alive. <laughs> now, I want to speak about compassion for a few moments, if that's okay. This is kingdom business. The poor God loves. And it's kingdom business to be involved with the poor. God's heart is for the poor. How do I know that? Because I've read it. The way you get to know God is through his word. You can't get to know God just because you get feelings. Or if you go on a mountain and you go, mm. I mean, I'm happy for you to do that. That might be a nice experience. But to know what God's like, is it's in here. And so I want to encourage you. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God's heart is for the poor. Leviticus, what a great book Leviticus is. Oh, I can see you're all overwhelmed by that one. <laughs> when you reap the harvest of your land, Israel, God says, make sure you leave a corner for the poor so that they can go glean from there. Gleaning is to go and pick the seeds. And uh, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem as widows and poor, Naomi said to Ruth, go to the field of Boaz and glean. And she gleaned from the corner. And that corner, that blue corner there is on all the collateral of compassion and it represents the corner for the poor. In fact, um, Ruth gleaned so well she ended up marrying Boaz and became the great-grandmother of King David. So if you're looking for a man, learn how to glean. That is not politically correct. All the complaints can go to Josh. Uh, we're, we're about the kingdom. Come on. Our business is the kingdom of God. And uh, part of that business is the poor. Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you. But that wasn't to neglect them. But to be part of their releasing from poverty in Jesus' name. God loves children. The heart of God is for the poor and also for children. The disciples were shooing away the children. Jesus said, no, let them come. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In fact, he went on to say, you have got to become like children. The innocence, the vulnerability, the openness, not childish, but childlike. So God's heart is for the children, is for the poor and for children. That was absolutely revolutionary to those Hebrew boys, as Jesus was saying that. Because children in those days were seen and not heard. They were, their value was at a lower level. 
So when he was saying the kingdom of God belongs to these, they were all going, wow, that's amazing. So God's heart for the poor, the children, and also for the foreigner. God speaks to Israel and says, when you have the foreigner amongst you, embrace them, love them, be kind to them, treat them as one of your own. And Israel says, why should we do that? And God says, because at one time you too were foreigners. Come on. If you've got links with another country, put your hand up. I was born in the UK, but I'm an Aussie through and through. You know how I know that? When the Poms came over for cricket, I wanted the Australians to smash them. <laughs> and I knew I was converted. Much to the disgust of my father, who's gone to be with the Lord now. But he was a Yorkshireman and he loved his cricket. So God's heart's for the poor, for children, and for the foreigner. Compassion began in 1952, 68 years ago, with this man, Everett Swanson. He was a Baptist minister, and he was ministering to the military who were in the conflict with the North and South Korea. And uh, as it was his custom, he'd go around the streets of Seoul and pray and just soak up the atmosphere. And one particular day, he saw a cart coming towards him that he thought was collecting rubbish turned out to be dead children and so he was moved with compassion to do something and he began with 35 children I'm pleased to say now we're in 25 countries and we sponsor 2.1 million children but we don't want it to take another 50 68 years to sponsor another 2.1 million because there are 385 million children still living in abject poverty. It's, that's terrible. It's not right. I don't think it's acceptable to God and it shouldn't be acceptable to us. Look, you can't do everything, but everybody can do something. Um, there's the different countries, the ones in blue... They uh, are the beneficiaries and the mustard-colored are uh, the givers. And I'm pleased to see that Korea has turned from blue to mustard and is now a giving nation. How good's that? Who we are, the distinctives of compassion. There are many great organizations that are working with children living in poverty. And uh, I, I'm just so thankful that they're working and helping those children. But we're, our distinctive is we're Christian. We make it very clear to the governments we work with and the communities we work in that we're a Christian organization. In fact, we were offered, I think it was around $10 million at the turn of the century from United States Aid. And they said, we love the work of compassion um, and we'd love to give you this money, but... Our constitution will not allow us to give to a religious organization. So, if you can drop the Christ, we can give you the money. We just said he's not for sale because it's who we are. So, we're Christ-centered, child-focused. We believe in the potential of children. There was a little boy, his name's Richmond Wandera, six years old from Uganda, lived in a, a slum and a 15-year-old girl in Adelaide working at McDonald's sponsored him. Sponsored him for 15, uh, 15 years. 
And now he's a, in his 30s, he's a pastor. He oversights 3,000 churches in Uganda. A 15-year-old girl sponsored him. What a great testimony that is. And we're church-based. We only work through the church. We work with 8,000 churches at the present time, and that's increasing all the time. And um, we believe the church is God's vehicle to take the message of love and help to those children. Our mandate to the pastors is go into your village, your community, and find the poorest of the poor and bring them in. And then they run the projects there. And what happens is they get help with their education. We pay for school materials, uniforms, and if there's fees, we pay for them. Health care, they get uh, checks, regular checks, dental checks, health care checks. Nutritious meals, that goes without saying. And vocational training. We are not Centrelink. I'm not against Centrelink. I like Centrelink. But our goal is to release children from poverty. So we want to train up the kids that they become a resource back to their families. So vocational training is very important to us. And of course, coming into the church, they get Christian teaching. We have Muslims, atheists, Hindus, all types. And we make it very clear they're coming into a church and there is Christian teaching. And uh, they sign to say that that's okay. And I'm pleased to say that in a year, 137,290 children gave their lives to Christ. It's, it's just wonderful. So sponsor a child. You can... Do that, we've got a table over there where we've got all these children. And uh, at present time, you're well over 30 children that are sponsored in this church. Well done. You're making a massive difference. There's one of the children we sponsor. Actually, he's gone out now. He uh, was 14 there. He's got a great hairstyle. And his name's uh, Wycliffe. And he lives in Kenya, lives in one of the slums there, but um, we love sponsoring him. So, if you uh, can and you have the means to sponsor, it costs $12 a week. And you can make a massive difference in the life of a child. And not just the child, but it go, the ripple effect is massive. It goes right through the family and beyond. So, is that all good? So that's my little presentation of compassion. Relationship more powerful than poverty and Jesus more powerful than poverty. I've got um, this little one here that Carol's got for me. You've met my lovely wife, Carol, stand up. She loves this part. Give her a hand. Julie Vaughan, that's Bonnie's a nickname, okay. Needs sponsoring. If you've got a um, child near, near you, just pick a picture up and we're going to pray for him. You know, the prayers of the righteous avails much. We're not just going through a uh, 
spiritual gymnastics, but we are genuinely praying for these children. Look at their name and look at their age. Put your hand upon the child and let's pray. Father, we lift these children up before you. And it's not right that they live in abject poverty. We pray that they be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Bless them, Lord. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in each individual life. These children belong to you. And we pray for them. Bless them. Help us to be a blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. If you can't afford $12, it's $3 a week for critical needs. And what that is, is a group of money that's pulled together. And if one of the children need an operation or some issues rise up in the community, out of critical needs, that money's taken and used to um, deal with the situation. It's a great thing. And look, I've been in ministry for a long time. Gosh. I said it to the folks this morning. Doesn't time go quickly? Who thinks it goes quickly? You can see all those baby boomers putting up their hand. Just flies by week after week after week. One more day closer to Jesus. Come on. Well, I, I said I've got a, an idea when Jesus is coming back. And I told the folks this morning when he's coming back, so... Would you like to know? <laughs> now, this is not doctrine and you're allowed to guess. I know it says no man knows the hour nor the day, but you are allowed to guess. Do you want to know? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I reckon, I can't help myself. Well, I get questions from kids. I remember a bunch of kids saying, how old are you going to be in heaven? And I thought, I'm not sure. <laughs> 21, that sounds good. No, but I, I found scripture. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, as he is, so we shall be. And I thought to myself, how old was Jesus? 33, and I said it. That'll do me. All the kids went, oh, that's so old. <laughs> and, I, and I went, no, it's not. 33 is good. Yeah, so there's three feasts, three major feasts in Israel. There's Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Passover is when Jesus came and he died for us. He was our Passover lamb. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and Pentecost started. Tabernacles is when I believe he'll return. Before Tabernacles is the Feast of Trumpets. So there'll be the trumpet blast and then his return. This is only a theory, a guess. Don't get uptight. And it's God with us. And it usually, because... Israel goes by the lunar, we go by the sun calendar, they go by lunar. It usually, that's why Easter's always different. It's either April, March, March, April. Well, Tabernacles is September, October, late September. What date is it today? 27th. Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah. 
you know you're going to get a resurrected body? I'm going to be six foot two with eyes of blue. I'll have long flowing hair and you'll be able to say, look, at, there's the guy from Compassion. Look at his hair. <laughs> Boy, I get sidetracked. Sorry. So, uh, late September, early October, I believe. We'll see which year it is. I don't have any idea on that, but he is coming back. He is coming back. Come on. Okay, this sermon is called the quintet. Everybody knows what a quartet is. What is it? Four people playing music. This is five. And this is how to make sweet music in your life. Who wants to have sweet music in their life? Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief, the devil, does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Look at the person next to you and say, more abundantly. Yeah, come on. Now, I was working it out. I said 37 years this morning I've been following Jesus, but it's actually nearly 40. Yeah, I was only three. Would you believe 13? 19? All right, that'll do. So I've got five things that I want to share with you in my journey of following Christ so that you can have sweet music in your life. Life has its ups and downs. Even at my ripe old age of... It's... um, You still have trouble. Jesus said in this life you will have trouble. Who's had trouble in the life? You've got both hands up, love. You don't need to do that. But you do get trouble. And you've got to learn to keep in the abundant life. Don't go based on what you feel like. Look, I love feely people. They're always, oh, God's wonderful and... Just feel God, and I'm happy for you. I tend not to, but I know that God's with me. Come on, whether I feel him or not. You can't base your Christianity on your feelings. You've got to base it on what God's word says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want to really encourage you. So these are the five things. The first thing is be God-centered. Make God the center of your life. Your biggest challenge, my biggest challenge is me. Hang on a minute. I'm not your challenge. I'm my challenge. You're your challenge. Yeah, I want to get that right because I don't want you pointing your finger at me and saying you're my problem. No, I'm not. I'm my problem. God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in truth and in in spirit and in truth. To be God-centered, Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. You see, these commandments 
took over from the Ten Commandments. Some people say to me, I live by the Ten Commandments. I don't. It's too hard. Ten Commandments are there to reveal our brokenness. In fact, I think God could have just done one commandment and said, you shall not bear false witness. If you've ever told a lie, lift your hand. If you're not lifting your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> Love God with all your spirit, with all your soul, your personality. Love God with all your mind, your thinking, and love with your strength, your gifts. Everybody here has been gifted. You are special. You are God's little snowflake. There is not another one like you. Be who God's called you to be and love God. Don't try and be somebody else. And don't try and make somebody else like you. We, can only, we only want one of you. We can't cope with two of you. We only want one. It's a battle with your flesh. That's where the battle is. The devil doesn't help and he's not omnipresent. He's fast, but he's not omnipresent. Some people say, oh, the devil came. Well, actually, it probably wasn't him. It was a demon but not him personally because he's not omnipresent. Only God is. Come on. So, be God-centered. I'm very thankful. Since I've been saved, I've always had this God... I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I have this God-consciousness. Even when I'm naughty, I have the sense of God. I'm feeling a bit alone here. <laughs> You're naughty sometimes as well, aren't you? Yeah, but God's good. Okay, next one. Be a bridge builder. It's the second commandment. This is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I reckon if, God had, if Jesus had just stopped at the first commandment, it would have been wonderful. But he made a second commandment and he said, love people. People are the hardest thing to love sometimes. It's not just me, is it? No. Learn to be a bridge builder. Learn to love and know that inside of us we have the agape love, the unconditional love. When you and I, if, if you're on a journey, you might be a visitor or you might be coming to this church but still on a journey. If you give your life to Christ, and what I did, I said, Jesus, if you're real, I'll follow you. And I've made that decision some 40 years ago now. Um, it just changed everything and made my life what it is today that I'm here speaking to you good people 40 years later. That is a miracle. But when I took that step of faith, I got the God kind of love, the God kind of faith, the God kind of hope inside of me. And I've got the power to love. I've got to learn to get it out and express that. People belong to God and we're in the image of God and we're not here to judge. We are not the moral police force. We are here to love. Everybody is broken. 
Come on. We've got to be bridge builders. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. When we're in a group like this, you, you have your experiences. Oh, gosh. You've got to keep the fire burning. And if you allow the ash of unforgiveness, it'll put out the fire. We've got to be bridge builders. You know, it was only a few years ago, I don't know if I've told you this story, our middle son, Philip, was married. And uh, he was married for two years, and then his wife said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Now, I know it takes two to tango, but he was a good, hard-working boy. And uh, she left him for another man. Now, the agony that went through our family of that experience was terrible. But we had to learn to forgive. Now, I'd, I'd love to be able to stand before you and say, well, I heard it one day and the following day I forgave and I was all good. But I had to go on a journey. It was a process of forgiveness. Come on. It's a process of forgiveness. But I knew that that's where I had to go. I did not want that event, that situation to put out the fire of God in my life. You know, when it's your son or your daughter or... I mean, I never did anything to cause it, but it affected me. And I had to forgive. I had to be a bridge builder. And I'm pleased to say that some two years, three years later now, we're free, we've moved on, forgiven. We don't, for, I don't forget, but I, I forgive. And we've all got to be in that place where we're not holding on to unforgiveness. This is the doctrine that I've got for you. Be nice. Be nice. If Christians were nice, we'll turn the world upside down. Come on. Next one. People empowering. Build bridges, have a God-centeredness, but empower people. It says, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. I need you, and you need me. And I want to empower you to be all that God's called you to be. You are special. We need to empower one another. We need to encourage one another. You cannot fulfill the vision for your life on your own. You are not the complete package and neither am I. We need one another. Isn't that weird how we need one another? Human beings need one another and we've got to learn to release and empower people. You know, um, in um, Luke 4... Jesus was in a village and it says, and the crowd sought him and tried to keep him from leaving them because they loved him so much they wanted to hold on to him. But he said, no, let me go. I must go and preach the kingdom of God to other villages, other places. 
We don't want to cling on to people. We want to be able to release them and let them be empowered to be all that God's called them to be. And if they go higher than us, praise God. That's wonderful. Years ago, I used to see it as a bit of a competition. Come on, I'm really bearing my soul here. And if somebody was doing really, really, really well, I'd be wanting to sing, what about me? Can anybody relate to this or is it just me? We have to encourage those around us, empower people. The church, our job as ministers and leaders in the church is to empower people to be all that God's called them to be. It's not just about the church vision, that's important, but it's about the vision for your life, what God wants to do with you because you're special, you're valuable, you've got a purpose in God that nobody else can do except you. And I want to empower you to be all that God's called you to be. Are you happy about that? I want to identify gifts in you. Because you've got gifts that I don't have and I need to have you in my life. I know you can be annoying at times and hard to get along with. But I need you still. I'm easy to get along with. Isn't that right, love? Love, I'm talking to you. Yes. So we want to empower people. God-centeredness, build bridges, empower people, release them, let them be all that God's called them to be. And be relevant. The world has changed. What we did 10, 15 years ago is what we were doing 10, 15 years ago. The world has changed. It's not the same. Jesus said to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I want to let you know, and I'm sure you do know, the fish have changed. They're not the same. We used to have street preachers. We used to be handing out tracts and preaching. Do you remember those days? Not anymore. Why? Because the world's changed. The worldviews change. Sin's still the same, but people's worldviews change. Technology's done that. I get my telephone. I reckon it's man's attempt to be like God, the telephone. All-knowing. Ask me a question and I'll Google it. Omnipresent. I can Google myself anywhere in the world. I went the other week or the other month, I went to my old grandpa, uh, grandparents' house in, in England, in Bradford, Yorkshire. And all-powerful, it, it makes me powerful that I can communicate with all of you. They reckon that they're doing a um, technology now where you can put virtual, uh, um, what do they call them, virtual mask on and go to the other side of the world and have a coffee with somebody and be able to chit-chat together. Come on. Isn't it amazing? And we're trying to catch the fish that are living in this world. As a church, you have to be relevant. As an individual, we have to be relevant. You can't go around wagging your Bible in people's faces. What we're called to do is to love people and it's God's job to change them. Come on. 
Not my job, that's his job. My job is to love them. His job is to change them. Keep, don't, don't think of the good old days. Baby boomers, you're not allowed to do that now. Come on. I mean, this COVID-19 has really turned us all upside down. This is not just a city, a state, or a country. It is the world that's been affected. I tell you what, Jesus is coming back. Come on. So we need to keep relevant. John Stott, who's an Anglican theologian, says, study the word, but also study the world. Because we've got to know who we're fishing for. You are here as fisher people. I'm being politically correct there. God-centered, bridge builder, people empowering, relevant, and finally, everybody say finally. They did that this morning as well. It was the noisiest it had been. It sounded like, finally, get it over with. Purpose-driven. Everybody's got a purpose. Come on, somebody say amen, please. You have got a purpose. And your purpose, Jesus said, is about the kingdom of God. I'm happy that you've got a lovely family, that you've got a great career, and that you make huge amounts of money. I, I want you to, and I want you to tithe. But I want you to be successful. But that's not your purpose. Your purpose is the kingdom of God. Come on. And if you seek the kingdom first, the context of that scripture is seek first the advancement of God's kingdom and all things all the things that you need, I need, will be added to us. The three big questions of life are, who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? This answers, why am I here? Because if you didn't have a purpose, we'd have a holy gun that somebody comes up, gives the life to Christ, and then we shoot them and send them to heaven. But no, they, we're left on the planet for a purpose. And the purpose is the kingdom of God. I said to the folks this morning, I believe that the turn of this century, when we came into the 21st century, we changed era. Before that, for 2,000 years, we've been in what I call church era, which was about my denomination, my church, my ministry, which are all good things. But at that turn of that century, we've come into a new era, and I believe it's the kingdom era. I go around churches, all denominations, and it's great to catch up with leaders and pastors, and their language that comes out is not about their denomination, but it's about the kingdom of God. Come on. There's change taking place, and it's a great change. So I want to encourage you. You have a purpose. Seek first the kingdom of God. I write so big. I've got to get big sheets of paper because I can't see like I used to be. It's terrible. It's amazing. As you get older, things start to fall out, <laughs> drop down. Can anybody talk? Young people don't know what I'm talking about. I look in the mirror in the morning and I look and I think, who the heck is that? <laughs> you see, on the inside, I'm 19. 
It's just this outer body starts to deteriorate. I know it's still a magnificent specimen, <laughs> but for goodness sake. You're hearing, you're seeing. My mum, who's 90, when I ring her up, I've got to shout. <laughs> Hello! What did you say? Um, I just want to finish with this. Um, God's equipped you. You've got everything you need. Human beings, when they are born, have inside of them faith, hope, and love. Every human being has that. Um, you say, how's that? Well, you know you've got faith when you get on a plane. Well, when we used to get on planes. <laughs> and you'd be sure that you'd get from Adelaide to Melbourne and you would arrive safely. I don't know why you'd want to go to Melbourne, but then, <laughs> sorry. Is anybody from Victoria here? <laughs> Love you heaps. <laughs> you've come across as missionaries, haven't you? So you've got the human faith, hope, and love. But when you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit connected with my spirit and affected the faith, hope, and love and made it the God kind of faith, hope, and love. Romans 12, 3, to every person has been given the measure of faith. Um, Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Colossians 1, 27, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So now I'm equipped. I've got it inside of me. Now I've got to learn to get it out. The love, the faith, the hope. And understanding how it works. You see, if I can't believe, if I don't have the faith, the stirring of faith for somebody to get healed, I've got to start putting my hope that they'll get healed. Because faith is the substance of things hopeful. You start to hope. Do you get that? It's, it's learning the principles of Scripture so that we can learn to operate in faith, hope, and love. And we've got the Spirit of God who guides us and brings us revelation of His truth. Isn't that good? God has determined and decided to live inside of human beings. Look at the person next to you. That's where God hangs out. Now that's the spirit of God because the Father and the Son are in heaven. The Father and the Son are in heaven. It says that God's on his throne and Jesus is sat at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The person who's on this planet for us now is the Holy Spirit. Don't be frightened of him. Be open and engaging with him and he'll reveal things. There's nothing better than reading the word and getting revelation because Jesus said, upon that rock I shall build my church. It's the, it's the rock of revelation. So you have a purpose. I have a purpose. 
fulfill the call. Be God-centered. Be a bridge builder. People empowerer. Be relevant and be purpose-driven. That is my quintet for life. And you can live an abundant life, even with all the trouble that comes in life. I'm hoping as I get older that the trouble will slow down, but I don't think so. But that's all right. I've got an abundant life in him. He is able to do exceptional things in you and in me. I'm going to show you a video of uh, a child in Indonesia on the island of Samba who's waiting for a sponsor. I want to encourage you. Um, there are over 30 children that are sponsored in this church. And I want to say to those that sponsor, thank you, thank you, thank you. On behalf of the children, thank you so much. You are making a massive difference. I've been over to Indonesia, Kenya, Philippines, and they took me to where the work of compassion is. And the thing that thrilled me in the churches, there were 17, 18, 19-year-old young people. And I said, oh, how long have you been in the church? And they said, oh, we came in as five-year-old compassion kids. And they're still in the church, volunteering, helping. See, it's God's vehicle the church to show the love of God and bring these children into a community where they're going to be shown the love of God. It's a wonderful thing. So um, thank you for listening. Um, we'll watch the video and then I'll close. Is that all right, Josh? You're the host, the host with the most. What a great